Welcome back to another episode of Acquisitions Anonymous. I am your host, Bill D'Alessandro. And this week, I talk with Pete Erickson, uh, who owns several physical therapy clinics in California. And Pete takes us through uh, his war stories, uh, specifically an incredible up and down ride of three years of being away from his business uh, while he was medically sick, uh, to only to return and find the culture was entirely different. Uh, how he had to reboot that business from scratch and then immediately got it knocked all the way back down again uh, when COVID shut down the world and physical therapy practices. So uh, a heck of a war story journey uh, with Pete Erickson this week. I think you'll really enjoy uh, this conversation. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, Michael here. I want to talk to you about one of our sponsors in our never-ending quest uh, to make Acquisitions Anonymous break even. Uh, and that sponsor is cloudbookkeeping.com. It's actually run by my neighbor, uh, Charlie, who's a great guy. Um, and he has been our longest tenured sponsor. Uh, and we're super grateful for him to, to support the podcast. So what Cloud Bookkeeping does, uh, it is a set of cloud bookkeepers um, that if you're a small business person, uh, help you get out of the business of doing your books and let you focus on the business of taking care of your customers. So um, they do all the complexities, uh, bookkeeping, payroll, uh, and they come across in our, our very client service first. That's their phrase, but I know that's true because I've spent time with Charlie uh, and dug into their business. So full suite of accounting services, sophisticated reporting, QuickBooks software solutions, and full service payroll options. Um, so definitely talk to Charlie if you want to get out of doing bookkeeping and outsource that to a trusted uh, third party, uh, and you can find them at cloudbookkeeping.com. So. Uh, thanks again for sponsoring today, uh, cloudbookkeeping.com. Okay. I am here with Pete Erickson of The Summit for another episode of Acquisitions Anonymous. Pete, nice to have you here, man. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks so much. Awesome. Very cool. Can you tell our listeners, you know, in 30 to 60 seconds, uh, what you do? What is The Summit? Yeah, The Summit is uh, physical therapy and personal training. And we call it pro recovery. It's like a stretch bar, massage, cupping. So recovery. And um, we've bundled those all together in in one location and we're starting to grow now. Okay, cool. And did you start the business or acquire it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I acquired a couple physical therapy practices and then we also started this. So we've done a little acquisition and we've also done a little just de novo startup. Cool. Can you kind of take us through how the heck do you get here? Get here. Are you a physical therapist? Are you a business guy? You know, take us through the the progression that that led you here today. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I started out as a actually started out as an engineering major. I was a chem major, engineering major, uh, working in kind of the land development, civil engineering space. And uh, during big during a large crash in oil and land development, I realized I wasn't going to make it there. Um, So I shifted gears over to physical therapy and started to work for a physical therapy practice. Okay. And so you were a physical therapist uh, for a long time. How did you transition to ownership? Correct. So I purchased a clinic where I was working, um, which that could be, for some people, that could be a really great situation. It's almost like an apprenticeship and then purchase, and that's how I did it. Okay, so you, what, was it the owner wanted to get out, and or did you raise your hand? Uh, how did that go down? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I, I actually was looking at several different practices and talked with the owner and he was ready to start easing out. So the timing actually worked really well for both of us. Okay, awesome. And did you use an SBA loan or seller financing to do that deal? Yeah, so that was seller financing and I can't speak highly enough about that. It was great for me. Okay, awesome. So that was the first clinic you bought. Kind of take us through uh, what happened after that. Yeah, that was the first one that I bought. Um, that was kind of tough because I started out as a kid there. And so all the staff knew me as the kid. And then I transitioned into leadership and uh, pretty quickly started getting a lot of pushback. Uh, it was really tough because it, at the time that I took the clinic, there were a lot of big changes in healthcare. And I thought to myself, I thought, hey, let's just rip the Band-Aid off real fast. So I made a number of changes to accommodate the changes in healthcare. And that was tough. That was really tough on because some of the staff had been there over 20 years. And so they'd been doing things the same way. So now for me to ask them to change for the clinic change, and then also the changes in insurance, it was tough. It was really tough. So snot-nosed kid comes in and he's the new boss and wants to do everything different right away. <laughs> <laughs> Bad call, right? Yeah, it's funny, Bill. Actually, I would say probably 20% of the changes were things, just preferences on my part. 80% were things being done to us. And so it was just kind of a, you know, perfect storm. I was the, I was the scapegoat for the changes. Okay. Yep. Can you, you know, pick one of those changes that was really the hardest that people push back on you know, and kind of take me through why were they so pissed off and how did you handle it? Oh, dude, for sure. I, I would say that the biggest one was a change in the way the financial team needed to do their reporting. Um, and so I was trying to get my finger, the, usually when these things roll out from Medicare or insurance companies, most of their staff don't even know how it's going to roll out yet. So it'll usually be two, three months of going back and forth and not able to get things all dialed in, not to be able to get them tight. Um, and I really like tight processes. So I'll be asking, hey, what do you think about this? How's this working out? And I think some of the staff perceived that I thought the problem was on their side rather than coming from the outside. So I got a ton of pushback. Um, we had some fits. We had things being thrown. We had, yeah, it was a tough, it was a tough season for some of the staff um, because really a number of the changes hadn't even, a number of things had not changed for a good 10 years. And so for all of this to change all at once created a lot of turmoil. Yep, I'm sure it did. Uh, so this this is a War Stories episode. So you gave us a couple, you gave me a couple places to push before the episode for War Stories. And if you mentioned that, you know, there are people throwing fits or throwing things, you know, that kind of says you might have experienced some culture problems in the past. One of the things you mentioned is that you might have held on to some folks for too long that weren't culture fits. What happened with that? Oh, man, it was tough. So uh, this is something that people can think about as they're going through acquisitions. Frequently, the reason a seller is interested because the seller's got several buyers to engage, right? So oftentimes the seller will engage with you because they, they want to remain a pillar in the community and they want to provide jobs for the staff they have. And so the seller didn't, didn't twist my arm and say, Hey, you have to keep these people, but they did express really strongly. I'd love it if you'd make a way for these people to stay on 
long term. And so being the good guy that I was, I agreed. I said, hey, I'm going to do everything I can to keep them. And I think that's where the problem came in. Okay. Yep. I think, I think every business buyer has felt this, right? Because a lot of times sellers really care about their employees and it's, you know, that's awesome. And so you are, you can be very tempted as a buyer to try to differentiate yourself from other buyers by kind of promising to take care of the people because it can be perceived that's very important to the seller. So it sounds like you fell into that trap. Uh, and, oh, and kind of made a verbal, not a contractual, I assume, a verbal promise correct, to keep these correct. folks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of agreed to keep these folks. You bought the physical therapy practice. And I assume you found out, oops, I might have committed to something I don't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I, it, and it was the entire thing. The, the systems were outdated. Um, so that was really tough. Uh, and, and so we had to change systems. We had to change several of the ways that things were being done. Plus, things were changing in Medicare and in in the insurance system as well. So it was the whole package. And immediately they they thought, man, Peter's the one doing all this to me. So that's where we got all this pushback. Um, there were a lot of tears. There were days people were stomping up and down through the office, using my name like a swear word, um, things being thrown. And I realized pretty quickly, this is not going to be a culture fit for us. So, so I assume then you figured out that you were not going to be able to keep your promise to seller and retain a lot of these people. Uh, so how did that go down? Uh, dude, broke my heart. You know, honestly, I would say, you know, I've always looked, I always believe that there's got to be a way to find a win-win, you know, that's in me where I think there's got to be some way to find a win-win. Um, and pretty quickly, I realized it wasn't going to work. There was not going to be a way to make the seller happy, keep the current staff happy, grow, keep new staff happy. So then we had to make some determinations. Um, I sat down with a couple of the people that were causing trouble and started to lay out, hey, what do we need to do to correct action? And um, one of them stormed out during that meeting. And uh really challenged me. It, it, it was that thing. Just like you said, here's the snot-nosed kid telling us what to do and I'm not going to take it. And so they, they started just demonstrating all these behaviors to try and get control. So you, you said in, in the show notes that you had to lay off 10 people, which was everyone <laughs> except for two. Uh, is, is that how it ended? Yeah. So, so what, what ended up happening there, um, I I got viral encephalitis and it took me out completely, um, completely paralyzed. I was actually blind for a season. Um, every major system in my body shut down. Um, I was so confused that I, I even thought my wife was trying to kill me. I was wow. out of it. I was, I'm giving you the cliff notes version, but I was an absolute disaster. Um, one of the lead therapist, one of the lead PTs stepped in to manage while I was out. And what ended up happening is the culture that we built and everything we'd, we'd really strive to develop that began to erode. Um, three and a half years later, when I was healthy enough to come back into the office and see what had happened, um, I'd heard from a number of people that things weren't going well. It didn't look like, like I had left it. And sure enough, that was the case. Um, when I got back, none of the systems were in place. It wasn't operating the way we'd left it. 
And so we had, we had some tough meetings with the staff. Yeah. So you, uh, and that sounds like you had an intense health experience. So you, you had kind of done all of this work to, to get through all of the, you know, the whaling and gnashing of teeth and, and the change management only to be struck down by viral encephalitis. And you had to go away <laughs> for three years. Yeah. Three uh, years. I was totally out. Um, it, it was really not many people recover from this. So I was so grateful to be alive and to be healthy and to be back. Um, I went into the office and really tried to rally the troops and bring some order back. And that's when I realized they'd gone without me for so long. They were pretty sure they didn't need me. Um, of course, they were, they were operating in the red and things were starting to really slide. It was getting ugly. So we needed to, we needed to make some changes rapidly. So when I came in to bring that change and to, to reinstitute our culture, um, there was basically mutiny on the ship. Yeah. Wow. So, so what happened? You came back here for three years away and you said, Hey, we're, we're, it's going to be just like it was three years ago. And they kind of went, Hey man, three years has gone by. Things are very different now. Maybe we don't need you, but you still own the practice, right? So Correct. how do you resolve that conflict? <laughs> yeah. So, so we, we sat down individuals and tried to coach them, gave them some parameters for change. Um, and then we, the coaching, you know, it, when things are that tough, you need a, almost a daily coaching rhythm, right? You can't just spread it over a week or two weeks. So we got them on a daily coaching rhythm and there was a lot of pushback. Um, and so we did this for a number of weeks after about three and a half, four weeks, I realized we're not they're They're giving me lip service. They'll play the game so long as I'm watching. Um, so we sat down, we sat down the different production, the production group, the finance group, we, we just talked to each group. And what I realized is they had all talked together. They weren't going. Um, so this was actually Christmas, which is wonderful timing as well. So we all sat down uh, the day after, a couple days after Christmas and said, hey, we have to close the practice. We're not going to be able to go on like this. And that was a tough day, let me tell you. So we actually laid off the entire team. Um, we let go of everybody except for one key team member. Wow. And then did you actually shut down the practice or did you just kind of take a pause and then and try to rebuild? Yeah, what the heck do you do, right? So so we already had all of these contracts. We already had people in place. We, we already had a whole ton of patients we needed to treat come January 2nd. Um, so I had been recruiting as soon as I saw things weren't going to go well, I recruited some staff members, actually brought in friends and family just to operate, just to wow. keep the lights on and the doors open. It was bananas. Um, so so it's, it's weeks, like your, your wife is like stretching people out. I mean, like <laughs> untrained. <laughs> yeah. So like my wife was answering phones and this is not her dream. Um, <laughs> my kids were answering phones. One of my daughters was doing some of the finance stuff. It was nuts. It was absolutely crazy. I had, um, one of my girls who was in high school, she'd come right after class, jam down to the office, answer phones while my wife ran errands. And yeah, it was not, wow. it's not a, uh, it's not the entrepreneurial dream. Let me tell you. And everybody always thinks entrepreneurship is so sexy, but so often it ends up with your entire family moving boxes or answering phones. Uh, one of the themes I'm seeing coming through in a lot of your answers is, and that you mentioned in the pre-show notes was this idea of kind of 
buying too small and buying a job. You know, in, in a lot of your answers, you had to say, yeah, like I was there spending the time with all the employees and I had to lay everybody off. And I was there. My wife was there. We're answering the phones and cleaning the shop and, you know, all this stuff. Um, so how do you think about, you know, what size business you should buy or, you know, what mistake did you make that you kind of felt like you bought a job more than a business? Oh man, that is such a great question. Yeah. So the, the thing that I've, that I've toyed with back and forth is you don't want to buy so big that you don't have the control to, cause you, there's a learning process. You can't just jump right into a Boeing 777. You want to learn how to fly first. So you don't want to get the largest, but you also got to be careful not to buy too small. And that's what I did. I bought too small and didn't grow quick enough right out of the gate. Um, the intent was to grow quick. The encephalitis knocked it back. Um, so, so that really, in effect, gave me a business that was just way too small. So when you're looking at viability, you need something where you can exit the day-to-day rapidly and get above and start working on your marketing, start working on ops. Um, it's got to be at least big enough to do that. So what does that mean? Big enough to support a kind of general manager or CEO salary while also making all of your debt payments, right? Absolutely. And that's the magic, right? Everybody's got their own number. But I think, you know, you can look at it in different different ways. For us in our world, that means your top line revenue has got to be at least $3 million. You can't look below that. So that's just an easy rule of thumb for us. Um, some people are looking at SDE. Some people are looking at EBITDA. Pick your poison, get to know it really well in your industry and make sure you've got that space. Yeah. Yeah. I I think one of the huge traps when people buy businesses is they often buy them based on SDE or seller's discretionary earnings. Um, And then two things happen really quick. They don't want to work in the business and they have to make debt payments. So if you have $200,000 of SDE, and you slap $100,000 of debt payments on it, well, now yeah. you're $100,000 of SDE, and now you want to hire a general manager, and pretty quick, you're at zero of SDE. And so you go, holy crap, I thought I was paying four times SDE. I've actually, after, I've actually paid 15 times cash flow after I put debt on it uh, and a general manager on it, and I don't have any money to pay myself. Now I'm working for free, Right. Um, so nailed really, it, nailed right? it. People go, yeah. I'm buying on SDE. I'm buying on four times SDE. That's a 25% IRR. If I just do nothing, this is great. But then you finance the thing, debt payments, and then you want to hire a GM because you want to get out of the day to day, which is everybody's dream when they buy a business. Uh, and before you know it, you're not making any, you're not in the day to day, but you ain't making any money either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so true. So true. And, and I think that's, you know, as you're looking people, people, you know, you hear everybody talking about, well, we're going down market, going down market. Well, they are, but they're in a spot that's unsustainable. And we're seeing a lot of that right now. Yep. Yep. You, you also mentioned uh, that one of your struggles was struggling with a confusing marketing message uh, and that confused customers don't buy anything. Um, how were you confusing people? And then how did you stop confusing them? Mm, man, that's a great question. So we, we recognized pretty quickly that we have a number of clients that don't want to go through insurance channels. They don't see their problem as a health concern. They don't want to see a doctor. 
And so we had people coming to us just off the street and we thought, well, great, let's just blend physical therapy with this other message, this pro-recovery message. And as we did that, we put all of that information on our website. And so people would hit our website and they didn't know, are you guys doing physical therapy? Are you doing this other weird thing? Um, so we were chasing people off with our message. So currently what we're doing is we're splitting our website up. We're going to have two essentially storefronts, if you will. We're going to have the physical therapy specific message online. And then we also have that pro recovery specific message as well. Once you're inside our doors and you're, you're in the business, Hey, you can put the whole thing together, but as the storefront online, we were driving everybody away. Yep. I think this is a classic small business blunder because your small business, like you want every dollar of revenue. Like, yeah, I can do that for you. Yeah, I can do that for you. Like, come on in. Like, we, you know, we got a whole bunch of physical therapists. We can stretch you. We can help you in this modality, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so it's very easy to hustle for revenue. And I think it works in the short term. Um, but very quickly, it makes it really hard to systematize your business. You mentioned you're a huge process guy um, because you're doing all of these disparate things and you can't really systematize anything. So your ops is all bungled and also your marketing message is, is not clear either. And it, it kind of it can get you the first baby step, but then you pretty quickly get snarled on growth. Dude, Bill, that is an entire year's worth of courses right there in that one little okay. statement. Yeah, nailed it. Yeah, I think I think uh, that's one of those things that a lot of small business owners w can tell you about as trial through fire. That like everybody has made this mistake. Uh, it's like almost one of those things that you have to make for yourself, even though everybody tells you, you know, don't scrap for that revenue. But you're like, I got to make rent. I'm going to scrap for that revenue, <laughs> um, and then and then you end up having to pair it back uh, in order yeah. to scale. So true. So true. And that, that's a really high, each time you do that, you're paying the piper for it. It slows you down. I would say more than the revenue lost, more than the opportunity lost, it's that time, you know, it slides you back a couple clicks time-wise. And so then you got to dig yourself time-wise back out of that hole. Yep. Yep. So the last thing you mentioned in the pre-show notes, um, was just about growing and developing team members and you said something in here that's very specific. You said sometimes you cannot develop within uh, and you need to hire a leader from outside the business. Uh, talk about the specific situation that made, you know, you don't have to use names. This is Acquisitions Anonymous after all. Um, but talk about a specific situation uh, where you try to grow someone and you just couldn't and how others might recognize that in advance. Absolutely. Absolutely. There is this tendency um, within me, and I, I see it in a number of other owners, to, it's almost like a halo effect where you see somebody doing well in ops and you think, man, they'd be great at management, right? And so we'll extend people out. They'll get over their skis beyond what they're capable of. And then they start doing damage to the brand and doing damage to the staff. Um, it's classic, right? Peter principle. We're going to take you just one click beyond what you can do. Um, I would say what, what I is the Peter principle that? for people who may not know what it is. Uh, you're going to basically, you're going to be promoted just one click beyond your capacity. Right. Um, and so I, you see that every day, but 
for some reason in small business, we think we're beyond that. We think we're above it. We think somehow it's not going to happen to us, but man, I've done it so many times. And I think the other part, Bill, people need much more accountability than we're often willing to give. And so if we're not willing to give them the accountability for the function that we've handed off, can't hand it off. Yep. Uh, one, my COO has this, this phrase where he says, uh, you can e- it would be great if you could trust every single person all the time to make every decision that they should make without you in the room. But that's not real life. So if you can't trust the person, you need to build a system and a process and trust the system and process that they are working within. Um, and, and so that's, you know, it would be great if you could say, Hey, every single person I hire, I can promote all the way up and they can be completely autonomous. Uh, but it just doesn't seem to work out that way. How do you, how do you build processes and systems that help people to be autonomous? Mm, that is wonderful. We are, yeah, we are a process machine, which is very rare in the physical therapy space, in a lot of the healthcare space, because People believe, oh, I've got this secret sauce. I've got this special treatment or special. Um, and so we, we are very process driven and it begins even from the, from the beginning of the client journey. How do they discover us? How are they welcomed? Um, we do have a number of scripts and I know there's pushback on scripts in some areas and some areas accept it. My feeling is once you know a script, you're comfortable, you can make it your own, but you've got to learn how to connect with your client before they come through your door. So we do that at every state. We do it when they, when they encounter us online, when they make the phone call, when they walk through the door. We want our client journey to be very well scripted so that they know we get them. Yep. So now you don't have to hire customer service wizards you just need to hire people who can follow a process and then you can deliver a great customer experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, Bill, one of the things in our world is people want to know that you get them. And once you've seen 30 or 40 rotator cuffs, once you've seen a couple hundred backs, you get them. And so now it's just giving them that information, connecting with them, giving them that experience that I get you. I know where you're coming from. Here's the next step on your journey. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Well, Pete, thank you for being with us today. This has been great to hear about uh, the, your war stories, your journey uh, through the viral encephalopathy to uh, firing everybody, having to lay everybody off to COVID to, and you know rebound uh, ever since. Very cool. Thank you for sharing. Uh, I'd love to give you just a chance at the end. Uh, where can people find you? You know, on the internet if they want to connect with you more. Um, if there's something you want to plug, you know, now's your chance. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter. It's uh, SMB Pete. That's pretty easy to remember, SMB Pete. And um, hey, if you got any great physical therapists that want to own their own, send them my way. Love to get them to that space. Awesome. Well, that's great. This is uh, Pete Erickson. Pete, thanks for being with us, man. Um, it's, uh, we will talk to you next week. Awesome.